This is a true story that happened to my dad, Herbert Walker, many years ago. It was in the early 70s before the 1974 tornadoes that hit a lot of our areas. Our family on both sides were originally from Hazard, Perry County, Kentucky. I wish I could ask my dad about the details more, but he passed away on May 23, 1989, and so this is everything I remember him telling me. He drove a semi-male truck. He often dropped off and picked up mailbags at some of the smaller town post offices in Indiana and Kentucky. My dad was a very friendly person and never knew a stranger. He met a family once in Brandburg, Kentucky. For some reason, he stopped at their house. It could have been maybe he needed to ask about a detour or something of that nature. He decided to stop and talk to them for a while before he had to move on. They seemed like a nice family. The dad, mum and the only child, a young man in his early 20s. Simple people wearing old-fashioned country clothing. Naturally, being nice country folk, they invited him in to have lunch with them. He ate with them, enjoyed their warm conversation and kind hospitality and cut up a bit before leaving. They told him to stop by again sometime. He got in his mail truck and went on his way. Several weeks later, Dad went by their house again since he had a few minutes to spare and thought he'd say hello. He was totally stunned at what he saw. There was only the ruins of an old house that was slanting sideways on the verge of falling. Vines and weeds surrounded the place. Critters and snakes were probably inside or underneath the old rotted floors. He just couldn't fathom what he was seeing. After he left, he had to make his stop in the town post office. After arriving, he asked the postmaster about the family he'd spoken with before and where they'd lived. The postmaster gave him a frown and then said, Herb, that family died about 30 years ago. You couldn't possibly have spoken to them. Dad told him of his experience and he and the postmaster were left scratching their heads. It didn't make any sense. These people were real, as real as you and I are. How could they have just vanished? My father had never forgotten the incident and could never find an explanation. In 2013, I moved into an apartment in Alma, Arkansas. I'm not sure if this had anything to do with it, but the apartment complex was right next to a very old graveyard. A little history on this apartment complex. I had lived there three times before, in 2003, 2006, and 2009. All times I got the same one-bedroom apartment, number 208. It was always the one bedroom available. Each time I would have strange things happen there. The first time, cabinets would open. Things would be in different places, and sometimes when I'd take a shower and close my eyes, I'd see the bathroom and shower covered in blood, and blood coming out of the shower. I'd open my eyes and it'd be normal. The first time I lived there, that stuff intrigued me. I had only moved out to move in with my girlfriend Alma, who had very few options for apartments, and in 2006, when my girlfriend and I split up, 
I had to go back to the same apartment complex. And lo and behold, the exact same day I split with my girlfriend, the people living in 208 moved out suddenly, and for the second time, I got the same apartment as the first time. It seemed a little weird, but I just wrote it off as a coincidence. This time around, things were worse. I'd hear movement in my walk-in closet and living room at night. The shower visions were more intense, and also this was the year that the laughing children incident happened to me. But that's another story. I was living here when the sleep paralysis began a few months after the laughing children. My first sleep paralysis episode was terrifying. I was laying asleep next to my new girlfriend at about 1am and I heard the DVD rack in the living room fall down and a lot of DVDs crashing to the floor. I was still half asleep when I looked towards my bedroom door which I kept shut and on this night I could see the light under my door but as I turned my head to the direction of the noise and was about to holler out who was there, I heard running footsteps like a little kid. Then I saw the shadow of feet at the base of my bedroom door in the bathroom light. I then saw the feet shadow go from being on the other side of my door to being on my side of the door. No filler shadow, just the feet in a blink of an eye. They moved from the door to my chest and disappeared. This all happened so fast, I wasn't able to move or speak, but after seeing the shadow feet on my chest, I went to shake my girlfriend awake, but I couldn't move my arms. So I went to say her name, but I couldn't speak. So in a panic, I tried to sit up, but couldn't move at all. My eyes began to get heavy, and in a second I was dreaming of a shadow holding me down, covering my mouth. I fought it and widened my eyes. It was still there. I was finally able to make a noise, but it's just a raspy, pitiful help that's barely a whisper, and I'm able to slightly move my finger and touch my girlfriend. It's enough, and she opens her eyes and asks me what's wrong. I let out a pitiful help again, and I widen my eyes in fear at my chest. My girlfriend starts shaking me, and when I don't respond, she slaps me. In an instant, the shadow's gone and I'm awake, able to move, and my girlfriend said she never heard the DVDs crashing and didn't see any shadows. And the DVDs were still all on the rack when I went to check the living room. After that night, my girlfriend witnessed and pulled me out of three more sleep paralysis episodes over the next few months, before leaving me because it all freaked her out so badly. And then I moved out. Fast forward to 2009. I had married in 2007 and had a son that same year and a daughter in 2009, and then I moved out. Fast forward to 2009, I had married in 2007 and had a son that same year and a daughter in 2009, but my wife and I split and I needed a place to stay and once again I go back to the same apartment complex, I couldn't afford anything better. Once again, for the third time, the only open apartment was, you guessed it, number 208. But I don't want to be homeless, so I asked the landlord if I move into 208, can it be temporary, and if another apartment opens up, can he let me take it? He says yes, and I move in, but after two weeks of bloody visions, noises, and two more sleep paralysis episodes, I move out and stay with family. My wife and I get back together, but in 2013 we split for good and I get split custody and need a local place to live, and because this time I need a two-bedroom apartment, and knowing there's no chance of getting 208 because it's one, I go back to the complex and end up getting 210, which is right next door to 208. The even number apartments are on second floor and odd on the bottom, so 210 was the only available two-bedroom apartment, so I take it and tell myself at least it's not 208. So nothing happens here at first, and my kids and I really start to settle in and make it our own. But then, 
it started. One night, I'm in my room, and it's 2.30 in the morning. I hear my kids banging toys around and giggling in their room, and I hear their TV come on, and it wakes me up. Irritated, I call out, You guys are supposed to be asleep. Don't make me ground you. The banging and giggling stop, but I hear TV going, and I get up and walk to their shut door, still half asleep. As I begin opening their door, it occurs to me that my kids are at their mom's. I had taken them back to her that evening before. A chill runs down my body as I slowly push the door open to see toys strewn all over and a cartoon playing on TV. I turn the light on, unplug the TV, and then bolt to the living room, shutting the door behind me. I turn all the lights on in the apartment and sit at the edge all night. Nothing else like this happens for a while, but the next week while my kids were there, I catch my three-year-old daughter talking to somebody when my six-year-old son wasn't around her. So I asked her who she talked to, and she replied, My friend, old mom. Her kids got burned up, so she's nice to me because I look like her little girl. My daughter said this word for word, and usually she couldn't talk that plain. I immediately call her mom and ask what she's been watching over there, but her mom says just her cartoons. I once again got a chill down my entire body. My son never saw what Alexis saw. Over the next few months, my little girl continues to talk about old mom, sometimes even pointing behind me telling me old mom is there watching me to make sure I'm a good daddy. Really creepy stuff. Over the past few years, my little girl has gotten to like spooky stuff and is fascinated with scary shows and movies, and at this time, she was only three and had never seen scary stuff, so I was really getting concerned and had a hard time sleeping. Then one night, I was reading a kid's book called The Monster in My Closet to my kids. They laid in bed, and I was sitting in a chair next to her. At the end of the book is a page that says for the kid reading it to draw the monster in their closet. This gave me an idea. I told my daughter to draw old mom for me. She sits up. I give her a pencil and the book, and she says, Can you move, Daddy? She's behind you, and I can't see her. I scoot away a little, and my little girl looks in the direction where I sat before, then looks down and draws a little, looks up again, and draws some more and continues to do this until she finishes. She hands me the picture, I look at it, and I begin to tremble, and my heart races. That weekend, we moved to an apartment in the next town over. Some might say it was her imagination, and she just made up the drawing. But she was three, and I believe if she made it up, she wouldn't have taken her eyes off the paper as she drew. But she kept looking up as she drew, and that tells me she was looking at her old mom the whole time. You will know why I moved after seeing this drawing. I work a long commute away from home and depend on the train. There were some issues that caused the trains to be canceled for hours, which left me stranded about one and a half hours drive from home. At the train station, there were a few others who were all heading to my city, and we decided to split a taxi. The people were woman one, we'll call her Lisa, and she's heading to my city to see a gig. She was a bit tipsy. Man two, we'll call him Kyle. Traveling with Lisa, they're not dating, but from their conversation, seemed like friends. He was beyond drunk, and it made me a bit uncomfortable because he was pissing in a bush and kept making vulgar comments about Lisa's hot cousin. 
man too, we'll call him John. He was traveling alone and mentioned that he lived in my city. He just moved there, but was in that town we were leaving from as he just broke up with his girlfriend and was picking up stuff from her place. And lastly, woman two, who I'll mention later. Woman two decides to stay at her mother's house for another evening, so drops out of the taxi ride. That should have been my cue to also drop out, but they had just rung the taxi, so I didn't want to ruin it as they already calculated how much we all need to pay. I decided to ask Lisa if I could sit next to her in the taxi. She said, I completely understand. Come on, I'll sit in the middle. So the seating arrangement was, drunk Kyle sat at the front, me sat on the side next to the window, and Lisa sat in the middle. Then came the time for John to get in the taxi. Mind you, from where we were parked, there was no danger to getting in from the other side, as there was no oncoming cars. He opened the door on my side and just stared at me. Then Lisa says cheerfully for him to sit the other side, as she wanted the middle seat to talk to Kyle more easily. John stared at us for about a second more, then scoffed, and slowly walked over to the other side and got in. The ride itself was awkward as Lisa and Kyle were both drunk and dirty laundry was aired. Lisa was drinking still before she finally said she needed to go to the toilet and was desperate. Taxi man found a public leisure center for him to pull into. She got out and went inside. Mistake number two, I should have went with her, but I just didn't think about it. Normally I go with female friends in restaurants or bars, but because it was a taxi and freezing outside, I just stayed. Kyle and John went outside the taxi to smoke a cigarette. Then John came back in when we saw Lisa coming out. He scooted over to the middle, then put his hand on my upper thigh and rested it there. Regret number three. I should have said something and made a scene, but I just froze completely. Lisa opened the door, looked at John, and looked at me, then looked at John's hand on my upper thigh two inches away from my private parts. She cheerfully said to him, Oh, I'm so sorry, please. Can we switch? I love sitting in the middle. John looked pissed. He looked over at me. I was still frozen. He removed his hand from my thigh and scooted along the seat to make room for her. He grumbled something I couldn't hear before Lisa said, Thank you, and came in next to me. John sat in his proper seat this time and we took off. Lisa then took my hand and whispered to me, Woman to woman, I'll make sure you get home safely. I was just tearing up and said thank you. Then, throughout the journey, about four to five times after Lisa had leaned forward to speak to Kyle, John slipped his hand onto her seat so when she sat back down, he would touch her ass. Every time she giggled and said, Oh, sorry, I think I just sat on your hand then. I felt awful because she was in this position because of me. So I apologized and she just repeated that she'll get me home safely, woman to woman. She was very drunk at this point from the extra drinking in the taxi, so I think she just latched on to that mission. When we got close to the city center, Lisa asked where I needed to get to and I told her the general area. John said he moved to an area that is literally in the opposite direction. His suburb is north, I am south of the city center. He said after Kyle and Lisa got out, we'll share a taxi together, despite that making no sense as we lived in opposite directions. I said, no, that's fine, but he was insistent, won't take no for an answer. Lisa was too drunk and crying about how much she loves her dog at this point to protect me. I texted my husband that I was terrified and if he could walk up to come get me. My husband booked it over as fast as he could. After we got out of the taxi, 
John was getting his bags out of the trunk. And I said bye to Lisa and just ran as fast as I could to make it to my husband. We say it all the time, but needs to be said again. Fuck being polite when you're scared. John probably latched onto me because I was traveling alone while Lisa was with a man. Also, Lisa is right. Girls need to stick together. I should have gone to the toilet with her. A word of warning. Always be careful when traveling alone, especially at night. I never want to find myself in that situation again. When I was in primary school, elementary school for the US, I had a mid-50-year-old male teacher who I knew from the start was creepy. All the other teachers and staff talked so highly of him because of how involved in morning activities he was. He came up with the idea to run a yoga class for morning sport periods. He would run yoga and other teachers would run soccer or cross country or whatever. We were all about 10 or 11 when this started. I would notice how during these yoga classes, he favoured a couple of certain poses. Downward facing dog was his ultimate favourite. He seemed to focus on the female students more than the boys, which of course I thought was weird. He would tell us all to go to the downward facing dog, keep your head straight to the ground, close your eyes and breathe. While he would circle around the class, and assumingly look at the girls wearing skirts and shorts. Weirdly, he made it a requirement for girls to only wear shorts or skirts for yoga. It wasn't completely obvious at the time, but I realise now he was recording it all for later usage. Also, he insisted on taking classes to swimming lessons at the beach. He would be really annoying about changing into a fresh pair of clothes in the changing rooms before going to and from the beach. At the time, I thought fair enough. A couple of years later, when I was in high school, I saw on the news that this teacher had up and left school during the middle of a school day with no indication of why or where he went. People were worried for him at first until they realized his secret. A couple of days later, everything was released to the public. This teacher had been selling and editing child pornography on the dark web. And you bet all the footage from the years at my school was a part of it. So many girls at my school were seen repeatedly in all the footage, naked, vulnerable and young. I'm not sure as to whether he did the same for us boys, but regardless, he was filming and distributing videos of my peers to other paedophiles for money and probably his own sexual pleasure for years. They found piles and piles of footage on his home computer in the same house his kids and wife lived in, oblivious to his true nature. He was eventually caught by police, brought before the judge, and on behalf of his psychologist, he got away with it. His psychologist apparently pleaded that this teacher was suffering from depression and other mental illnesses, and that it would not be fair to put him in prison. I have no clue why the judge felt pity for this man, but to my knowledge, he is in protective custody somewhere else away from where angry parents and teachers could find him. I'm sure he's still doing similar shit today, whatever way possible. 
It makes me sick to think about this man being put on such a pedestal by other teachers and staff during my schooling days. They all assumed he was a passionate teacher who wanted to see kids reach their potential. In reality, he became a teacher to fulfill his sick urge, which he would still be catering to to this day. Hi, my name is Taylor and I'm a 22-year-old female from a small town in Kansas. I just wanted to share a few of the many paranormal happenings that have happened to me since I was a little girl. I was about 11 or 12 when this happened. I was asleep in bed when my eyes suddenly opened. I could feel that something or someone was in my room with me. I was laying on my side facing towards the wall, so I slowly began to roll over onto my back when I see a figure sitting at the very edge of my bed. After staring at it for a few seconds, I soon realised it was a female. She was a solid figure, and I couldn't see through her. I have a little nightlight plugged into my wall, so it was illuminating the figure. She had darker red hair that was long, I slowly started to sit up on my elbows. I'm not getting a bad feeling, but I'm still scared because my brain can't register what this is. I finally get the courage to ask her, who are you? And she slowly turned her head to the side and gave me a soft smile and then turned back around. For whatever reason, I laid back down on my pillow and turned towards the wall and I went back to sleep almost instantly. Her presence was calm and safe, so that made me feel calm and safe. I can't really say why I didn't talk to her more. It was almost like I was meant to lay back down and go back to sleep without a say in the matter. My mum had a friend that's a medium, and so my mum gave her a call. My mother began to question her about what this apparition could mean or who it was. She stated that it was an ancestor coming back to check up on me. My mum's friend didn't know who it was exactly, but she said that over my lifetime, this particular relative took a liking to me and just wanted to make sure I was safe. My second story begins in the first house I lived in on my own with my boyfriend. I was having some issues finding a job. It tends to be a little more difficult to find one, especially when you live in a small town. I have been looking for about three months and I was just feeling super down on myself. I felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I was always upset and depressed and I put that energy out into the world. I do in fact believe that when you put negative emotions or energy out into the world that it can attract something negative or dark or awaken something that's been lying dormant your whole life just waiting for that opportunity to swoop in and make your life a living hell. That's what happened to me. This paranormal encounter happened very slowly and subtly. You know, little things here and there, knocking, scratching, and the occasional weird footsteps. Of course, this is kind of freaky in itself, especially when you're not used to it happening. 
I'd begin having vivid demonic dreams where I'd wake up terrified. I was having some form of sleep paralysis where I couldn't open my eyes, but I could hear voices and footsteps walking up behind me. Some voices were even mimicking the voice of my boyfriend. One of the first major things that happened to me when I was asleep was that I had a weird image flash across my eyes and it was of a tall, dark figure looming over me while I slept. It wasn't just standing straight up, it was actually bent over my body looking at me. I remember one morning after my boyfriend had left for work, I was sleeping and then I was woken up by my dog that started crying like something had happened and she got hurt. I shot out of bed, looked over at her, and she looked scared but unharmed. I later found out that this thing was scaring my dog to scare me. Another time I was just beginning to wake up, and I heard it mimicking the voice of one of my friends at the time. I began getting so terrified that I would pack a bag and go to one of my best friend's houses for the day until my boyfriend came home from work. Keep in mind that all of this stuff happened while he was gone. I would of course tell him about it, but he would just brush it off. It's not that he didn't believe me, but talking about anything paranormal kind of freaks him out, even to this day. So he tried to rationalise everything first. I have a friend that has a gift, and so does his mum, and I had been debating for a few months on if I should say anything to him and her because I didn't really think there was anything that could be done. One night, I invited him and his girlfriend to come over and hang out with me because I was getting a little scared, and at this point I hadn't planned on saying anything to him. But we began talking, and of course the paranormal always gets brought up. I remember sort of trailing off and looking at the floor. Without even thinking, I ask, what's in my house? He stated that he was waiting for me to bring it up because he didn't want to freak me out and said the minute he walked in, something felt off. He called his mum to talk about the events that had been happening. She asked him where I felt the most uncomfortable. I was getting ready to say my bedroom, but before I could answer, she goes, it's her bedroom, isn't it? We discussed it, and eventually his mum came over and blessed my house. She sat me down and told me that everything was fine now. I did find out that there was a little girl in my home, but apparently she's harmless. I've also had a few weird encounters with the little girl as well. His mum told me it was a twisted spirit, meaning it wasn't good, but it wasn't completely bad either. After everything that happened to me though, I figured there's no way it was just a twisted spirit. My friend later told me it was a demon that had been with me since birth, and it finally got its opportunity to fuck with me. His mum didn't want to freak me out. Since then, I've never encountered that demon again, and I sincerely hope I never do. Well, darlings, that's all the stories that we have for you on tonight's show. Do keep sending in your creepy, strange but true experiences to deadlydebbie at mail.com. And if you would like to tell your story yourself on one of our phone-in shows, then let us know in your email. We would love to hear from you. I'm off to watch a classic movie before bed. Candyman is my choice for this evening. Oh, I do love a good romance, don't you? Now, no looking in mirrors and reciting Candyman, my dears. He's mine. 
Nighty-night.